Hello and welcome to the AIU Spotlight podcast. I'm Gareth Long, Communications Coordinator with the Faculty of Arts, Humanities and Social Sciences, and I'll be interviewing staff, students and alumni from the faculty to explore their personal experiences of education and professional life, as well as their advice for anyone hoping to work in the same field. In this, the second of two MA Therapies placement specials, I talk with MA Music Therapy student Katerina Delabonna about her placement with Hollanden Park Hospital, alongside her placement supervisor Anna Pessoa, who is lead music therapist at Hollanden Park and also a graduate of RMA. We discuss the support Katerina received from AIU and Hollanden Park, how her placement inspired her major project on patients unable to interact musically, and how placement students can often bring surprising new ideas to organisations. So with no further ado, let's get on with the podcast. Hi Kat. Hi Anna. Hi. Hello. Thank you for joining us for this special edition of the AIU Spotlight. If you could start by telling us, first of all, Kat, who you are and what course you took at AIU. Yeah, so um, I'm currently in my second year studying music therapy at ARU. And Anna, which organisation do you work for and what's your role with them? Yeah, so uh, I work uh, for Renovo Care Group and I'm based at uh, one, one of their sites, uh, which is Holland and Park Hospital, and I'm their lead music therapist. We specialize uh, in neurorehabilitation, uh, mainly with acquired and tra- traumatic brain injury patients. So, Kat, the reason we're interviewing you both today is because you took a placement through the music therapy course with Holland and Park Hospital. Can you tell us a little bit about what the actual role was that you took with them? Yes, so I went in twice a week and I uh, had a month of shadowing Anna's work and seeing what Anna did there, how she worked with the patients, what music therapy helped with and the different forms of music therapy used as well. And then I uh, got given three patients to work with and I had the opportunity to lead my own music therapy sessions one-on-one and also share a group with an occupational therapy student who was on placement at the same time so that was very interesting as well because I had the opportunity to see how other therapies worked and collaborate with them. How well prepared did you feel when you started the placement? Was it a shock? Did you need much support and did you get much support from both AIU and Hollanden? Yeah so it was completely different to anything I'd ever done before because I come I'd come from a background of working with children with additional needs and profound and multiple learning difficulties. So I'd never worked with adults and the thought of working with adults was quite daunting at the start and a bit overwhelming. But I said to myself, you will never have this much support ever again. So throw yourself in, try something new and just give it your everything. And that's what I did. I just went in with an open mind, ready to experience whatever it was. And I had great support throughout it because I had supervision with Anna once a week in the hospital. And then I also had small group supervision in university, again, once a week with a few of my peers and uh, one of my course lecturers. And that was really useful because we got to share work. I also saw what my peers were doing and we could 
talk about it. So yeah, the support I had throughout it was incredible. How did you find placement in the first place? Was this suggested to you or is it something that you had to go out and find yourself? Um, I had a chat with my placement organiser from my course. We spoke about the experiences I'd had with work and what I was used to working with and what I could do that was different, how I could use, you know, being in a first year master's that would benefit the most. And so we decided together. We also spoke about things that I found scary and working with adults was one of them. So we said, OK, let's work with adults. <laughs> that's Go towards the things that scare you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> had um, you wanted to work with adults as well at some point in the future? Probably. It's not something that I take in as much in consideration, but mainly just because of familiarity and what I'm used to um, and what I'm comfortable with. If I hadn't had this experience in my first year, I wouldn't have gone out my way to get it just because of, you know, the worries of the challenges you might find and the lack of confidence that you have. So doing this has given me a lot more confidence to working with adults for future. And Anna, is this the first time you've taken on a, a student for a placement or is this something you've done before? Uh, no, Kat, Kat was my first student, yes. But since then I've had uh, several more from, from ARU and also from other universities. So what kind of qualities do you look for in, in a student when they're hoping to do a placement? So I, I, well, I look for reliability, for empathy and intuition, um, creativity, good communication skills. Um, I also look at their ability to work with people from a, a variety of backgrounds, given the working group we have, and, and the ability to eventually deal effectively with challenging situations. And what kind of roles have other students taken on? Has it always been similar to CATS? Yeah, so so students, um, they provide uh, both individual and, and group sessions. They may be involved um, in, in meetings with, with, so review meetings of patients uh, for which they have to write a report. They, they will, of course, uh, be involved in documenting what happens in the sessions and keeping it up to date. They abide with the HCPC standards of proficiency. Oh, yeah, they also attend the, the therapy forum, which is chaired by the head of therapies at the hospital, and, and they can participate in our journal club. When you were working with the patients, Kat, were there any particular breakthroughs, any moments where you feel that your music therapy, you suddenly realised that the approach you were taking was working? I don't think of it in terms of working or not. There were definitely some incredible experiences um, with uh, all the patients and these experiences I was actually able to understand and really process thanks to like the supervision that I did with Anna. For example, one of um, the patients I worked with, we had a very uh, rocky relationship from the start, whereby from the beginning I was rejected by them and they didn't want anything to do with me. Well, that's how I felt, at least, when working with them. And slowly, every week, we built a closer, closer relationship that, you know, started off with throwing a tambourine across the room from their behalf <laughs> to then them coming to the music therapy room with me, 
sitting next to me at the piano and slowly opening up and breaking up this wall that I felt was there at the start. And I think we actually ended up having a very beautiful and humorous relationship as well, full of jokes and they were nonverbal. So we we didn't speak. This was all done through being in a room together and in, interpreting emotions that I felt after. And by the end of my placement, we would sit together in the music therapy room. And after a bit, as I was playing, they would fall asleep, which sounds like <laughs> not much. But to have this person that was pushing me away at first and didn't want to come anywhere near the music therapy room or really want to interact with me, become so vulnerable and just let go to the point of falling asleep and being okay with it was really special. What I think about a lot is, Anna, when you then told me that the week after when I'd left and we'd, I'd finished my placement, that they'd returned to the music therapy room. I will never know if they were looking for me or not, but they went back and knocked and they were like looking around and left. <laughs> we can make of that what we want. <laughs> so that, you know, these just incredible experiences to to witness and, you know, other patients as well, like that again at the start were very closed and scared slowly opening up and even like their bodies opened up their faces opened up it's it's just beautiful to think back and reflect back on these changes <laughs> how long have you been using music therapy Anna at Holland and Park for for years it, it, it's been established established uh way before I joined the organization and and I joined for and a half years ago so, so yeah, it's, it's been years. So it's well-established. Yes, um, it's well-established, yeah. And cats, patients won't be desperately looking for somebody to do music therapy with them now that she's left. <laughs> well, um, yeah, as, as, as Kat said, they did look for a while. Um, and then, but patients are, are supported um, not only by music therapists, but by, by the other therapists in, in the team. Uh, they get continuous um, care and, and therapy time, not only from music therapy, but from physiotherapy, occupational therapy, speech and language. So so they are well supported. So the other students that you've taken on for placements, have they all been music therapists or have there been other? Yeah. Well, myself, yeah. So, um, but we also, so this, the physiotherapists will also take physiotherapy students, but I will take the music therapy students, yes. So presumably, Kat, this history of music therapy being there already, a lot of that groundwork was already done. Did that allow you um, to feel more supported and also to try out your own music therapy practices more? Yeah, um, I was very lucky. There was obviously a lot of the patients that I worked with had already had music therapy in the past, so it wasn't something completely new. I sort of just came in and slotted in very easily and you know had had my own hours of work had my own space it, it, it all it was all very smooth running and very yeah very well supported throughout yeah and how did you feel Kat progressed during her placement Anna and what tools did you use how, what 
Do you have journals or logs or anything to track that progress? Well, Kat did really, really well. She's she's a, a mature um, student, but she she has a really good intuition. So she she blended in really well since the beginning. And in fact, she wrote a, a, a reflective piece on her placement that was um, published by the Neuro Rehab Times. So so yeah, I would say she did very well. Um, she was well supported. There, not only by myself, but by by the whole MDT, the multidisciplinary team, and and by by ARU. So, what did you think, Kat, was the most valuable thing that you'll take away from your time on the placement? Anything Anna said to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We spent we spent a lot of time together. So, so the two days Cat uh, was was at placement. She she was either with me or with her patients or with another therapist and I think that helps doesn't it Kat to have that yeah. continuous um, support so of course we had that slotted time of supervision but we also spend time <laughs> as colleagues as uh, you know collaborating um, and that that is very that can be very very enriching and, and you learn a lot by just watching. Yeah you learn so much from just having casual chat which we did so much because obviously it was like one music therapy office so you have the the slotted supervision time but that naturally then goes throughout the rest of the day because when something happens when you have a thought when you read something or like even when you like talk about anything else like we would talk about like loads of like really nerdy opera stuff or like anything to do with like psychoanalysis we just like have endless conversations and you learn so much from it and it sticks with you and it's it's the, it's the thing you know it's the things that help you grow the most and help you you know learn how to reflect like Anna never gave me any answers <laughs> it was always questions and like any questions I had it would be a question back but that would be amazing because that's how you learn to introspect and reflect and analyze and be critical and yeah and I still carry those like mechanisms with me and it's still how I practice today and in future probably. Did um, Kat bring anything to the role that you weren't expecting? (laughs) Oh gosh yes so this is a two-way avenue so as Kat was saying we 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 did talk a lot outside of supervision and and um, and it, she she had four thinking ideas and as other students they they ask the difficult questions usually which is why it's so valuable to have students i'm thinking of an example Kat, you might remember this there was a student that you worked with uh, you guys asked the question about uh, so what about sexual education after a stroke um, and and that Simple question led to an internal survey, and then we discussed it in, in the journal club, and we ended up writing a, a, another article for the Stroke uh, Times, just because of a question that two students asked. It, it's a two-way avenue, absolutely. They learn a lot, but we, we learn a lot as well. So it's not just extra help you're getting, it's actual insights into... Oh, absolutely not. They, they bring a... a Students in general bring a, a, a pair of fresh eyes and a different view to, to the service. Yeah. Mm. So once the placement's finished, what kind of feedback 
and support do you give to students after that? And and did, have you ever taken any students up into employment afterwards? Well, uh, stu not, not students, um, but th that I've worked with uh, at Holland and Park, but we have recently employed uh, a music therapist that graduated from ARU not very long ago. And I'm, I'm, I've, I graduated from ARU as well. So. Oh, really? Um, You're a fellow graduate. It came full circle for me as well. <laughs> but um, in terms of feedback, so so there's that first four weeks of placement uh, that Kat mentioned in the beginning. So I write a report at the end of that four weeks and then in the, in the very end of, of, of placement. And for me, it needs to be a transparent process. So from the moment a student walks in, they know exactly what they they expect and and that comes with of course regular supervision and 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 and, and talking throughout the process so when i when i write their final reports there there's no surprise and, and often we do it together i think it's useful to have the student and cat in this case we did it together we reflected on the questions and the answers and i think again it's it's something to do with a student, not not just by myself. I find it more valuable and more meaningful this way. I'm assuming you're still hoping to do music therapy as a profession once you graduate. Is that right, yeah. Kat? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I can't wait to start working full time. <laughs> and are you doing a major project this year? I am. I am indeed. And I'm doing my major project on my placement last year, <laughs> really. Yeah. Oh, right. So it's, it's proving even more valuable. Yeah. So, um, what's the actual title? Attuning to Silence, how music therapists work with nonverbal adults with acute acquired brain injury who do not interact by playing music. <laughs> A very long title. And it's essentially, it, stem, it stems from my experience working with a patient last year who was nonverbal and he would never play an instrument or sing or interact uh, musically. And so I found myself looking for ways to understand how to help him without knowing how to help him because in music therapy, you know, the amazing thing about music is that it's so accessible to nonverbal people. Uh, you can use it to communicate. You know, later as a music therapist, you can listen to the music. You can look back and reflect and interpret what was played and how it was played to gain some answers, so to say. And um, what happens when you don't have that, when you don't have music? <laughs> what do you do when the, with the tool that you use to interact is not there? So, yeah, for example, in my case, I had to use countertransference, which is a psychoanalytical tool which is essentially reflecting on your own emotions that come out after you finish working with a person or a session and you reflect on how you're feeling and you use those feelings to make some assumptions on what the other person might be feeling or might be putting on you, projecting, so to say, on you. And I'm curious to see what other music therapists that might have found themselves in these situations do. How varied were the patient's conditions that you worked with so varied each patient was completely different to the other yeah and I worked in like completely different ways with each patient so have, having completed your placement is there any advice you'd give now to your younger self ask more questions 
more. Do you not think you asked enough then? More. <laughs> just, just more anyway. Yeah, just the <laughs> use Anna's brain to the very last drop, squeeze it mm. all. <laughs> the knowledge, yeah. How often do they get access to music therapy usually? Patients at yeah. the hospital. So it depends on which pathway of care they are. Uh, we have we have uh, patients that come from acute units and they often stay for 10 to 12 weeks. Um, they're funded by the NHS. Uh, those patients always get music therapy. Uh, music therapy, it's, it's in their package of care. The patients CAT worked with are longer term patients and they still need to be in hospital and they still need input from therapy, but they have plateaued, so to say. Um, those patients will receive music therapy if there's a need, so if someone refers them to the service. And of course, having a student, if I don't have time to, to see them, having a student widens that possibility of access, which is, which is really, really good. Those patients uh, are often the target for for music therapy students, the patients that have been there for a long term. Yeah, we decided together on the patients, which was really good. Like we spoke about what type of work I wanted to do. And we also took in consideration the patient's needs. You wouldn't assign to a student a patient that has maybe some particularly very acute needs in that moment. So you also decide these things together. Yeah, Kat had the opportunity to meet all the patients at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and 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 see what what in what was of interest to her, which is important as a student. If you work with someone with a particular condition that you're curious about, it, it probably the work will be a little bit better. So so that that's important that you identify at that level. So yeah, absolutely, it was a team effort. What conditions do you find are most receptive to music therapy? Is that a um, tricky question? <laughs> It is. It's 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 hard to say. I think it's more on an individual level, not not a condition. It's not okay. it, it's not conditioned to the condition. Uh, it's it's more to do with the person. Some some patients reject it from the get go, but then when they give it a try and they and they come, very rare. It only happened, I think, once or twice to me in these four and a half years that they don't come back. Patients always come back. Do you find it's usually patients that had a, a solid relationship with music beforehand, or is it not that simple? It's not, I don't think it's that simple. Some, sometimes patients that had a solid relationship with music are the hardest patients because they will really? be judging the quality of music they play, and that's not the idea at all. Uh, music therapy is for everyone. It doesn't matter sure. if you play an instrument or not. It's, it's not about that. It's nothing to do with perfection. So sometimes I mean, in are, terms of people that enjoyed music, they all, all would respond to music beforehand or anything like that, rather than musicians necessarily. Yeah, of course that helps. Um, but again, I, and I can tell you, I, I've, I've had patients that don't like music at all. They come, for example, a stroke patient, if they lose their ability to, to speak, they will be able to sing. And, and sometimes patients say, no, 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 I don't want to sing. But as soon as they try and they realize they can actually sing words, they keep coming, don't they, Kat? It's, it's because it's an opportunity to, to actually use the time to build up the vocabulary again and to, and to have a connection 
where words are involved yeah. in a singing form in the beginning. Of course, that, then we tried to help the speech and language therapist and transform it into spoken words. But yeah. th that's a very specific example, but it shows, I think, yeah, well, sometimes the reluctance of coming to sessions, what it does for them, they come back. Yeah. There can be that sort of expectancy sometimes that you have to be musical to do music therapy that worry that oh you know I can't play an instrument or I'm not very good at singing but when you allow yourself to have that trust to step in the music therapy room you see that actually it's a room with zero expectations where you can use that time however you want and um, there will be no pressure from the music therapist to do something there might be an inv an invitation and or not it really it's, it's so varied um, and then, yeah, like Anna was saying, like music can be employed as like a very clinical tool to regain speech or regain movement, which is incredible. It's a... So what is it about music, do you think? And we're getting to very general questions here just because I'm quite interested in this. Um, what is it about music that you think has has this power um, for people that even weren't very interested in it beforehand? Well, if if you think about the brain, and, and, and how we all, as human beings, perceive um, sound. Uh, music is the only activity that we do as human beings that activates the whole brain. So only that is a win <laughs> for us. That is, in essence, what makes it a superpower. <laughs> um, and then, of course, the relational aspect and all that comes with the psychodynamic approach that we do um, but but yeah in essence if you think about a baby in in their biological mother's womb the first thing they hear is a heartbeat and the heartbeat it's absolutely rhythmical so we all have that potential within us from birth yeah. from even before birth there's a, a neurological precedent essentially set even yeah, before absolutely. we're born yeah absolutely yeah did you uh, Kat, get to study the actual neurology of music therapy, neurological um, theories on the course as well. Yeah, we we had we had a, a few lectures on music and the brain and the neurologic. So there's um, a specific branch of music therapy called neurologic music therapy that is uh, entirely focused on using music to enhance function. Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> yeah, on the brain. Um, so yeah, I'm still learning from her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I've I found that so interesting. I first came across it when I was in my undergrad, and to discover how receptive the brain is to music and how it can literally change its form. If the plasticity is affected by music, is incredible. And I definitely do. It's something that I do still want to like study and learn and get into the fascinating can it help you in in the actual practice of music therapy knowing um, the neurological side of it can it help you identify different activities you can do with different patients or? it's useful for that um i think again it's so different because it really depends what type of work you're doing with the patient so when the patients that i was working with i was using a more psychoanalytical informed approach which is slightly different to the neurologic approach and it's the one 
that I am also currently using like in my placement now and I am what's the word I'm looking for <laughs> it's, a, it's just a different it, approach yeah it's it's what we learn it's what you are learning at ARU that's the approach that underpins the, the whole um training yeah. Um, yeah. and then and then the neurologic music therapy comes comes later on or even if you're doing the training you can you can become a neurologic music therapist in fact you don't have to be a music therapist to be a neurologic music therapist you just need to be able to to play music and know how to apply the techniques they're very it's very technical it it, it has nothing yeah. to do with the, with the music therapy uh, that cat learn i learned mm. um it's it's different it's a different yeah. approach yeah it's very functional so for example in neurologic music therapy uh, you might sort of like play the drum in one way. So you would tell your patient, can you follow the metronome and play the drum like this for two minutes to regain, right? To regain like uh, movement, for example. More or less. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in like uh, the music therapy that we do in ARU, you don't, you don't do that. <laughs> you, you don't, yeah. Uh, you say it's psychoanalytical. Would that be stemming from Freud's theories? Yeah, so Freud, Bayern, Winnicott, Jung. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it, there's a lot of um, reflecting on the primary caregiver and baby interactions and how then that can influence life growing up. So Kat, have you got any advice for other students who might be thinking about doing a work placement? Not necessarily music therapy, just a, a placement at all. I would advise to definitely do it, to throw yourself completely into it. And if you are scared of something, if something scares you, then that is something that you should be doing. <laughs> like if you, yeah, <laughs> just throw yourself <laughs> into it. <laughs> and read what Kat wrote, because it's really good. And then are our placements still available for future years for AIU students? Yes, of course. Yeah, we're very keen to have students. I'm personally very keen to have students as well uh, because, well, I had such an amazing uh, experience in placements um, as well that when, when, when I was having them, I thought I, I really want to do this and facilitate this for other students, for future generations and do for others what my supervisor did for me. So it's, it's a way of paying it forward and shaping the future music therapists. We have actually an, a waiting list at the moment. Oh. Um, wow. So, so, so yeah, but we welcome all, all, all students from, you know, not only music therapy, uh, physiotherapy, occupational therapy, speech and language, there's a possibility if they want to come and do a placement with us to get in contact. What were your own experiences like on placement when you were a student? I, I worked with dementia in my first year and then I worked in a special school and as Kat, as her own experience, I had a, a music therapy a music therapist, sorry, uh, in placement that was there with me all the way. I had clinical supervision. It, it was exactly the same model um, that Kat described earlier on. And I was really, really well supported on both sides. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Kat, and thank you, Anna, for joining us today.